Buenos dias. Guten Morgen. What other languages do you know? Do you know Greek call Himera, which is good morning? And uh, Japanese, Ohio Gazimus. Any other languages we know? All right. We're glad to be back here at Lone Mountain Missionary Baptist Church. This is our seventh meeting together. And so seven is the number of perfection or completion. I, uh, we're going to complete some things this week, and I, I don't know if we'll have a perfect week, but, but praise the Lord. We, we love you. We appreciate you. You're supporting church and Lone Mountain Missionary Baptist Church. Well, we're missionary Baptists, and so we travel all over the world, uh, 30 different countries. When we finish the two weeks here in Las Vegas, I do a week down in the Phoenix area, and then off to Brazil. We'll be in Brazil for a month and come right back from there and go to Europe and have a month in Hungary and then France and then England, which will take us right through June. And so appreciate your prayers, appreciate your support. And we are going to pick up right where I left off back in November of 2022. Of course, you remember what I preached then, right? <laughs> I'm glad you sure do. But you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't remember what you fed me the last time I was here. I know Brother Gerald and Tabitha had us over, and probably the Huckabees, and, and I think Custer's took us out to Big Bear, Brown Bear, Black Bear Diner. And, but you know what? I have no idea the food that you fed me, but I know one thing. I was strengthened by it. You didn't realize I'm here today because of meals I ate 68 years ago. And 10 years ago and 20 years ago. We don't always remember what a preacher preaches. But it strengthens you, it nourishes you, and you're here today spiritually because of the word of God you heard last year and 10 years ago. And so we don't always expect you to remember that. Well, we did a series on the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. And I, I gave an exposition. I took two messages to give you an exp exposition of John chapter 3, 1 through 7. But now I want to go on from verse 7. And you'll never believe this in a million years, but I'm preaching this morning from John 8, 3 concerning the wind. <laughs> and I planned this long before we had this great windstorm yesterday. Yesterday uh, was a, uh, a windy day. <laughs> and there were wind gusts here in Las Vegas from 60 to 80 miles an hour. 75 miles an hour is hurricane strength wind. And so I don't know how often you get these things, but, uh, but that's how you, you welcomed us here, was uh, with that wind. And so here we find Nicodemus. And again, I presented him to you. I gave you all of his background, all the historical background from John 3, 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, we gave you the whole history, the Pharisee movement, which began in that intertestament period between that last Italian prophet, Malachi. <laughs> right, Brother Tucci? Right. The, all right, so we have uh, Malachi to the Gospels, 400 silent years. And in those 400 years of history, when there was absolutely no revelation from God, no prophet, no any communication from God, the Pharisee movement began because Alexander the Great conquered the world in 333 uh, B.C. and 
Greek Hellenism was invading all of the world cultures of that day, and there was a group of men who rose up against Greek Hellenism. They didn't want Greek culture to contaminate and infiltrate Judaism, so these men stood up, and they were the Pharisees, which means separatists, and they were the separatists of their day. They had Pharisee communities in Jerusalem. 6,000 Pharisees living in their own community within Jerusalem. And they had to recodify the law of Moses into 613 laws and were described to keep all 613 laws, which is interesting because the Lord gave 10 commandments and there's never been a human being alive that was even able to keep 10, more or less 613. And, and so Nicodemus represents the religious, the religionist. Nicodemus represents those who are trying to keep the law performance-based, try to please God by their duty and their doing and their law-keeping, which is impossible. He was also a ruler of the Jews, which means he was part of the Sanhedrin. The 70, the most upright moral citizenry of Judah, was chosen to have a rulership over the people. And so he represents the absolute epitome of religiosity, of commitment and dedication and zeal for his Judaism. But he hears of the fame of the Lord Jesus. He hears about his miracles. He hears some of the teachings of the Lord Jesus and is interested. He's got questions, so he comes by night. Verse 2, the same came to Jesus by night. He's the original Nick at night. And he comes very inquisitive, very respectful, and announces, we know, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And he, he becomes a real minority among the other Pharisees. The other Pharisees ascribed Christ as an imposter, and they wanted to kill him. The Pharisees were the very enemies of Christ, but there were a couple like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who were not joining in with the Pharisees who hated Jesus and wanted to destroy Jesus. Nicodemus recognizes messianic ability by the Lord Jesus. You are a teacher, you're a rabbi, and the miracles you do are because you do come from God. What did the Pharisees say in Matthew 12? You say, you do the miracles that you do by the power of Satan, Beelzebub, thus committed in that day what was the unpardonable sin against Christ and against the Holy Spirit. But Nicodemus is not of that rank. Nicodemus comes with questions, but the Lord Jesus answers his questions before he can ask them. Because Nicodemus hears the message of Christ, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, me, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, keeping 613 laws, religious to the hilt. Why would I need to repent? And so the Lord says in John 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the message he needs. That's the message everyone needs. That's the message that the religionist needs. That's the message that the wicked, depraved sinner needs. It's the message that every human heart needs. You must have a new birth. New birth not wrought by anything religious. If religion saves, then Nicodemus would be fine. 
If religion saves, then Jesus or Paul wouldn't have said in Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God for righteousness comes by the law. If you can get to heaven by keeping rules, laws, sacraments, traditions, then the death of Christ is in vain, Paul said. This is the message the religionist needs to hear. If you could somehow get to heaven based on your own good works or self-righteousness or self-betterment, then you don't need the cross. You don't need Christ. God didn't have to leave the glories of heaven and be crucified and battered and bashed and bloodied to, to procure your salvation if you can make it on your own. And so the Lord gives that message. The new birth is wrought totally by the power of God. Nothing you can do to attain it except come by faith and receive it. Well, Nicodemus is confused. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? He's thinking physical. Christ is thinking spiritual. Same thing in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. She wants to know how this water in the well can give her eternal life. She's thinking physical water, not spiritual water. Most people in the world religions of our day, think, what can I do physically? What can I do religiously? Can I get back into my mother's womb and be born again? What do you mean a second birth? And that would be a, that would be a real sight, trying to get back into your mother's womb as an adult. Look out, Mom, here I come. Ah! And so she, he is confused. The Lord tries to... Help him with that confusion in verse 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Water, there's physical birth. Water, there's not baptism. There is no such thing yet as Christian baptism. This water is not Ephesians 5, 26, the washing of the water of the Word. Ephesians hasn't been written yet. You have to understand what would Nicodemus have understood the water to be. I had a pastor in Texas who got all bent out of shape with me because I preached that John 3, 5 is not the physical waters of baptism. It's not the washing of the water of the Word. He said, everybody knows that John 3, 5, the water, there's the Ephesians 5, 26, the washing of the water of the word. I said, I'm sorry, hermeneutically, that cannot be. Nicodemus doesn't know about Ephesians. And he got all bent out of shape with me. He says, I've always taught that that was the water of the water. Well, that may be what you've always taught. But that's not the proper interpretation of that verse. The whole verse John 3, 1 through 7 is a distinction between the physical birth and a spiritual birth. There's a breaking of the water in physical birth. You've had a physical birth, Nicodemus. What you need now is a spiritual birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that's all it can ever be. Those who are religious but have never been born again, they are trying to produce things out of the flesh. Romans 8, 8, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you realize there's nothing an unsaved person can do in the flesh? I don't care how moral, I don't care how religious, how dedicated, philanthropist, whatever he does. God cannot receive anything out of the heart you were born with. Now that is a message you must share with your religious friends who are not born again. They're zealous, they're well-meaning, they're well-intentioned, trying to have a life that pleases God, but God cannot receive anything out of the sinful, depraved, corrupt heart they were born with. They must have this new birth. 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that's all it can ever be. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That which is born of the Spirit is spiritual. When you are born again, you become spiritually minded. You become rooted in Christ and all of its manifestation. <laughs> Those who claim to be saved and they have no life change, that meant there was no repentance, no salvation. You must have fruit that is representative of a genuine repentance and faith in Christ producing this new birth. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. He's saying that to Nicodemus. He's saying that to you and me, but Nicodemus still doesn't get it. So the Lord Jesus gives two illustrations. The first one in verse 8. The second in verse 14, which we will be taking up in our next hour. And so this morning in Sunday school and in this next morning hour of worship service, I think it's at 11, is it? We'll have the second illustration. And the Lord Jesus loves the heart and the soul of Nicodemus as he loves the heart and soul of each one of you. He wants you to understand. It, God doesn't want you in some ambiguity, some vagueness about what salvation is or what the born-again experience is. So the Lord clearly is going to share with Nicodemus through two illustrations what this is all about. And the first one is an illustration of wind. Well, I tell you, I was getting blown around yesterday, but that's what an evangelist does. You know what the evangelist does? He blows in, he blows up, and then he blows out. <laughs> so I will be with you here this week. I have blown in with a, a physical wind, and I trust a spiritual wind. I'm going to blow up Sunday night, or Sunday morning through Friday night. I'm going to blow up, and then I'm going to blow out and go to Henderson at Wagon Wheel starting next Sunday morning. But listen, again, in the summary of God, I planned this message on wind before we ever experienced the wind from yesterday. <laughs> Look at my car out in your parking lot. I've never seen anything like it. It's been sitting out in that wind for 24 hours, and my car is absolutely filthy. <laughs> it is got dust and dirt all over it. I got to get to a car wash. <laughs> and so all of us now have a great foundation about what wind is <laughs> after yesterday and even this morning. <laughs> Three things about wind. Now the word wind is also the same word as the spirit. <laughs> and so when we talk about wind, which is my lesson this morning, <laughs> I want you to remember that the Spirit of God has those same characteristics. <laughs> because pneuma, the word for spirit, is also the word for wind. This is a John 3:8 is my first discipleship message I give to everyone that I've ever led to Christ. <laughs> because it is so, so basic. Elementary, dear Watson. Being born again is like the wind. That's what Jesus will tell Nicodemus. Help Nicodemus understand the new birth. Help others. Maybe even this room, if you're not born again, you'll understand it better after this lesson and after the morning service. There are three truths about wind that every one of us know and understand. Truth number one about wind Wind is invisible. 
but you believe it, right? Wind is invisible, but it is reality. Can you believe in something that's invisible? Wind is invisible. You don't see wind. You see what it does. You see the effects of the wind. Did you see those flags on flagpoles yesterday? Man, it was straight out wind. The flag is right out there. We see the effects of the wind. We see what it does to the flag on a flagpole. We see what it does to the leaves and trees. We see what it does in an airport with the wind sock. Because <laughs> when you're taking off, you've got to fly into the wind. Because <laughs> that's aerodynamics and everything that goes on with the wind hitting those wings. But, and so you look at the wind sock and it'll tell you which direction the wind and how strong the wind is. And so you can feel the effects of the wind as it blows across your face. It's invisible, but you can experience it personally and intimately <laughs> as the wind crosses your skin. You can feel it. The Spirit of God is real. The Lord Jesus is real. Although invisible, you can see the effects of the Spirit's work in your life. And there ought to be effects. There ought to be a movement. <laughs> there must be manifestation of the effects of an invisible power called the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And when someone is professing faith in Christ... Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be saved, may be saved, hopefully saved, find out someday saved. The moment and a heart of repentance and faith. Acts 20, 21. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. When those two come together, repentance is a change of mind and attitude toward sin causing a change of behavior. Repentance is an acknowledgement that I am a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, the publican prayed in Luke 18, 13. I recognize my sinfulness. I recognize my total inability to save my own soul. I recognize that because of my sin, I deserve death and hell. Those are repentant attitudes. Repentance is not, well, i got to stop doing this and this and this. I've heard many preachers preach that. <laughs> Repentance isn't a doing thing. Stop this, do this. Repentance is an acknowledgement of your absolute corruption and depravity and now dependence upon the Lord for salvation. And God is the one who grants repentance, 2 Timothy 2 25, that God peradventure will give them repentance under the acknowledging of the truth that they might acknowledge that they've been captives of the devil up to that place. So a heart of repentance and placing faith and trust and dependency for eternal life in Jesus Christ and him alone, that's salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
your words might be different than somebody else's. So don't get caught in the trap about the sinner's prayer. <laughs> I've led people to Christ who came back, did I pray the right things? <laughs> That's not the issue. Did you place your faith and dependency for eternal life in Christ, in Him alone? That's the issue. <laughs> and all my red flags go waving when I ask somebody, how do you know you're saved? And they answer, because I prayed a prayer. <laughs> That's not how you know you're saved. There is no set formula of a sinner's prayer in the Scripture. For the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, 36 and 37, it was, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Salvation. For the thief on the cross, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You're the king, and you have a kingdom, and I want in. Amen. That was his prayer. Those were different than others. The fact is I acknowledge my sinfulness and my total inability to save my own soul. I recognize because of my sin I deserve hell. I deserve to break hell wide open. I don't make any excuses or rationalizations or justifications for my sin. I call it what it is. I am a sinner par excellence. And I need salvation. My whole point is... When you call upon the name of the Lord, when you receive Christ, Christ will come inside of you. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, what will he do? I will come in him, sup with him, dine with him, have a personal relationship with him, and he with me. Now, when you called on the Lord to save you, did you see the Lord Jesus coming inside of you? as he promised he would. No, it's invisible. It's the whole point, Nicodemus. <laughs> Wind is invisible. The Spirit's work in a sinful heart is invisible, yet it's reality. Somewhere along the way, in your Christian experience, it's all going to kick in. <laughs> Jesus Christ is absolute reality. Why do so many born-again believers live like it's not reality? If you really believe the Lord was in your life, would it affect your thinking? Would it affect what comes out of your mouth? If I know the Lord's listening, He's inside of me. When I pray, He's right there. It's not like my prayer life is a stamp in an envelope and whisked away millions of light years away. <laughs> he's right there. He hears everything. He hears your prayer because he's right there. He's inside of you. You're the temple of the Lord. <laughs> but the Lord's working and the Spirit's working and Christ coming into your heart and life is invisible. <laughs> Wind is invisible. You don't see with the physical eye, but we believe it. Do you believe it? <laughs> Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ although you've never seen him? Can the Spirit of God produce a saving faith in someone you've never seen? The Lord Jesus said that to Doubting Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 28. All right, Tom, reach hither thy finger and put your finger in the nail prints. 
Put your fist in my side. And be not faithless, but believing. My Lord and my God, Thomas says. And then did Jesus say, Oh, no, don't call me God. The Jehovah Witnesses wouldn't like that. <laughs> my Lord and my God, Thomas. And the Lord Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are they which have not seen and yet have believed. 1 Peter 1.8, Whom having not seen, ye love. How does this unsaved, unregenerated world understand that you absolutely are in love with Jesus Christ, although you've never seen him? He's never appeared to you. And there are some who say, well, Jesus appears to me, maybe I'll believe it. Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now you see him not, yet rejoicing with joy unspeakable. How, do you, how, do, how does anyone understand that? We have a joy unspeakable. Human words, language cannot articulate the love that we have for our Savior. How can that be? <laughs> Whom having not seen, ye love. For that was what the, the pneuma, the Spirit of God, produces in the heart of faith. Moses responded in this way, Hebrews eleven twenty seven. He responded as though invisible things were visible. <laughs> Treating God like he was actually visible. And that is what we are to do. To live in the absolute reality of that which is invisible. <laughs> Second Corinthians 4.18, why we look not at the things which are seen... But the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Everything that comes into your eye gate, everything you're looking at this very moment is temporal. You're looking at me, I'm temporal. <laughs> I will have a complete change when the Lord comes or takes me home. Everything you're looking at in this building is temporal. Everything you look out outside, everything you see in this world is temporal. It's all going to fade and pass away or burn up with heat at the end. But those things which are not seen, they are that which is eternal. And so we live in an eternal realm. And so now 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. But the good news is one day our faith will become sight. <laughs> and we will gaze on our Lord Jesus Christ whom we have loved all these years. We will gaze upon those wounds that were inflicted for us. Do you realize the nail prints and the footprints and the scars of the thorns across his brow? Those are the only man-made things that will be in heaven. <laughs> He still carries the scars in his hand and feet and you will see them. So in John 3, 8, as Jesus helps Nicodemus to understand the new birth, he uses this illustration. Wind. The wind bloweth where it listeth. 
And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Wind is an illustration of the new birth. Wind is invisible, yet it's reality. Although wind is invisible, you see the effects of it. And yesterday the wind was full of dirt and dust hitting my face. The effects of wind are reality. So the effects of the Spirit and the Lord Jesus in your life are reality. So wind is invisible, yet reality. Number two, think about wind. Wind is powerful. Where's our, our brother who was telling me last night 80 mile an hour winds were registered where he lives. 75 mile hour wind is hurricane category one. And so you had hurricane force winds here yesterday and last night. Interesting. You think about the power of wind. Hurricanes are very powerful. Category 5 hurricane, Katrina hitting New Orleans. Powerful, devastating, destructive, life-threatening. You have tornado measurements, F1 through F5. And in any F1 through 5 tornado is going to have a lot of power. Wind is powerful. And when you were born again, it was the most powerful event that could ever happen in your human experience or eternal experience. There is so much power in the new birth. You now have power over Satan you never had before. You now have power over this world system you never had before. You now have power over the flesh that you never had before. You have power over sin you have never had before. The Lord Jesus and the salvation of God and the new birth are so powerful. They're absolutely life-changing. When I got saved at age 20 as a Roman Catholic... Drinking buddy got saved, invited me to his believer's baptism, and there I heard the gospel for the very first time, got saved the very first time I heard it. I understand that's a rare bird. But my life was radically, dramatically changed. That night when I received Christ as Savior, and the Spirit of God came upon me in that conviction and conversion, and the Lord Jesus came inside of me. It was absolutely life-transforming and changing, 180-degree change. I left that church house radically different than the way I went into that church house. That's the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the power of the new birth. Wind is powerful. Salvation, the new birth is powerful. That's why the Lord Jesus told his disciples after he was risen again from the dead. They were in an upper room in Jerusalem. And the Lord announced to them in Luke 24, 49, he said, tarry in Jerusalem until it would be 10 days between Passover 
And it'd be 50 days between Passover and Pentecost and Acts 2 and the Spirit of God came. Terry in Jerusalem, until you be endued with power from on high. And that's exactly what happens to us. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. You shall receive power, dunamis, dynamite. There's going to be an explosion in your life when you come into the new birth and you come to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. Christ indwelling you in the person of the Holy Spirit. There's only one God, folks. Manifested in three personalities, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But the resurrected physical body of the Lord Jesus does not come inside of you. The Lord Jesus comes inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 6, because you're sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. And when that happens, you have power. Why isn't everybody every day sharing the gospel and witnessing to lost people? Why is it 95% of born-again believers are not actively engaged in evangelism? That should not be. Why? Because you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. Where's that power, believers? Power over temptation and sin. 2 Timothy 3.5 They have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. We now have power all the power of God at our disposal, but we don't know how to use it. This is what I share with new believers. Baby, baby believers. And I share this with them in John 3, 8 and explain that wind is power and you now have power over the enemies of your soul, but you don't know how to use it yet. That's why you must grow. That's why you must be in the Word of God. Through the Word of God, there's power, there's knowledge. Through the Word of God, we understand how to use the power of God within us. And if you're a born-again believer and you spend rare moments in the Word of God, you will not know that power. You show me a believer who's not in a daily, consistent, devotional life, I'll show you a believer who's constantly falling into temptation and sin. You don't know the power in the Word of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And every time you're in the Word of God, you're being infused with power over the enemies of your soul. You've got to grow spiritually. Newborn baby has all of the human ability and power within that little six-pound body. Doesn't know how to use it yet. He's got to grow. There's nothing outside that's going to be thrown into that little human baby. Everything is there. He's got to grow and learn how to use it. As they grow, they learn to speak. As they grow, they learn to take their own little spoon and feed themselves. As they grow, they learn to put on their own little shirt. As they grow, they begin to crawl and then take steps, and then they're running. 
but all of that physical ability is within that little newborn baby. <laughs> but you got to grow. It takes training and instruction from the parents. But as he grows, he learns to use the physical power that he has in the same way spiritually. You have everything you need for victory and success. Everything is given by the Spirit of God at the moment of salvation, the moment you're born again. But you don't know how to use it yet. That's an encouragement to a newborn baby believer as I share that with them. God doesn't expect out of you what He expects out of those that are mature believers. We don't say to a, a one-year-old, now take the keys and run down to the store and get us a loaf of bread. <laughs> We don't expect a one-year-old to be able to do that. And so we are patient with new believers as they're growing, as they're learning what sanctification's all about. We don't have big expectation. <laughs> Even though they're transformed by the grace of God, they have all the power of God, but they don't know how to use it yet. That's why I tell them the importance of the local church. I teach them the importance of being in the Word of God the moment they're saved. So growing. Wind is invisible yet reality. Wind is powerful. And number three, and finally, wind is mysterious. Did you see that in John 3, 8? The wind bloweth where it listeth. The word listeth literally means the will, the desires, the, the choosing to go this way or that way. The wind has a mind of its own, doesn't it? You can't orchestrate the direction of wind. Wind is mysterious. Wind blows wherever it wants to, wherever it wills to. You cannot geographically pinpoint the origin of that gust of wind across your face. There's no way you can determine where it's going next. <laughs> Wind is mysterious. God is mysterious. The workings of the Spirit are mysterious. God wills. God knows. God sends. God sovereignly moves. Wind can go any direction. The Spirit of God can go any direction. You can't ever expect God's going to work the same way every time. <laughs> There's mystery in the wind. There's mystery with God. You know, it's been years since I've preached this message. It really has. I don't know why I don't use it more. I, I kind of like it. <laughs> I was talking about the wind in some church years ago, and a meteorologist was in the congregation. And man, he got all excited and he came to me after this. He, you're right, Brother Showman. I've been studying the wind for decades. And I still don't understand it. <laughs> That's what he admitted. I'm a meteorologist. I've got college years studying the wind. I've got decades of reporting the weather, but I still don't understand the wind. And that's true, and you will never fully understand God and the way He works. Because as the wind goes different directions, God goes different directions. As the wind chooses where it's going to blow, God chooses where it's going to blow. And, and you can't orchestrate that or put God in a box and expect Him to work in a certain way. <laughs> There's mystery in wind. 
Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. And there's no way you in your finite mind and understanding are going to figure that out. So don't let that trip you up. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. The point is with Nicodemus and helping him understand the new birth, you don't have to understand all the mysteries of God to be born again. I mean, there are people who get tripped up by this. You know, we would all like to know the answer of the first grader who comes and says, well, where did God come from in the first place? <laughs> How can there be an eternal God who has never had a beginning and never will have an end that boggles our finite mind in thinking, who is this one? <laughs> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was the beginning of his revelation to man, not his beginning. <laughs> Micah 5, 2 of Jesus Christ, his goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The psalmist says, thy, thy throne is established from old, and you are from everlasting. That, that, we can't understand that. Where did God come from in the first place? Who is this eternal being who has all power and knowledge and is omnipresent? How can it be? And we believe that he created the heavens and the earth about 6,000 years ago. Really relatively short amount of time from Adam and Eve to our present day. Some say, well, 8,000, 10,000. I like the 6,000 because the seventh millennium will be the millennial kingdom and the millennial rest. <laughs> a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. So we have six days. We have 6,000 years of human history. And the seventh millennial will be the kingdom age where we'll be participating. But what, what, all of the eternity, all of the eons of eternity before God created the earth and man six thousand what was he doing then <laughs> boy does, does, does that boggle your mind like it does mine <laughs> forever and ever and ever and ever from eternity past what was he involved with before six thousand years ago <laughs> you know those things are mysteries <laughs> we'll never fully understand them I did not understand all of the ramifications and the deepness of theology and Christology and pneumatology and ecclesiology and eschatology and demon. I didn't understand any of that the night I got saved. How much did you understand before you got saved? You probably understood a whole lot more than I did. But I knew I was a sinner. I knew I deserved death and hell. I knew Christ died on the cross for me in my place and shed his blood and rose again from the dead. I knew that I needed to be saved, but beyond that, I had no understanding of anything. I like what Adrian Rogers said. I've done a whole lot more repenting after I got saved than when I got saved. <laughs> I didn't understand it all the night I got saved. I don't know if you ever heard of Alistair Begg, uh, B-E-G-G. 
I don't, under, I don't agree with all that he says and his association, but I do love what he preached about the thief on the cross. <laughs> thief on the cross. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And he goes to the gate of heaven. And they at the gate say, can you tell us about justification? He says, no, I've never even heard of that. Surely you must tell us about reconciliation. He says, I, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that either. Can you talk about redemption? Can you talk about, and he goes through this whole list of doctrine and the thief on the cross. I don't know anything. Well, why are you even here then? You don't understand these great doctrines. How, do, how are you even? He says, well, the guy in the center cross said I could come in. <laughs> how simple is that? The guy in the center cross told me I could come. <laughs> I don't know how much I understood the night I was saved. And I certainly didn't grasp all of the mysteries. But I knew one thing, I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And so there's mystery in the wind. We're ending now, John 3, 8, is the Lord Jesus helps Nicodemus understand the new birth because he's so confused. He's confused like many people are confused about being born again. And he said, being born again is like the wind, invisible yet reality, very powerful. And the power that comes of the new birth is there's power in hurricanes and tornadoes. And the wind is very mysterious. You don't know where it's blowing. You don't know where it's going. There's mystery in the wind, but don't let mysteries of God hinder you from being born again. Well, thank you, Father, for the time together around your word this morning. Bless as we prepare our hearts for the next hour. Give us instruction. Give us encouragement, admonishment, maybe rebuking, maybe reproving, certainly instruction in righteousness. And we just pray you bless as we continue on in this meeting. Thank you for the invitation to come and preach again at Lone Mountain Missionary Baptist Church. Bless the things we've heard this morning and now what we're about to hear in the next hour and tonight and Monday through Friday night. Use it in our lives in Christ's name. Amen.